I'm going to read Psalm 34, which is on page 586 of the Red Bibles. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked, the foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants, no one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. I'm going to um, read uh, the New Testament reading on... 1 Peter, uh, one, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 12, and can be found, oh, there you go, um, on page 1270 on the Red Bibles. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, um, Cappadocia, Asia and Bethania, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father um, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power unto the coming of of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you you greatly rejoice, um, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer griefs in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of great worth, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be 
proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he uh, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them um, that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of these things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. If ever there was a book for our time, this is it. First Peter is a book for us. I wonder whether you can identify with, uh, with what he was saying, uh, that the world seems to have changed for us as Christians, and uh, whereas once it was acceptable to be a Christian, if a little weird, but acceptable, now it's become unacceptable. We're misunderstood, we're mocked, we're maligned. Uh, it's a struggle to be God's person in our world. My guess is if you don't really, if you really haven't seen that transition or you can't see that that has changed, it probably just shows that you're young because that's what you've grown up in. That's what it's like now. But for those of us who are a little older, just a little, uh, we can see that change that has happened. And so as we read 1 Peter, we begin to read about being a stranger in the world, about people mocking, about people being against Christians. And this book is going to help us. It's going to help us to see the challenge of living as a stranger in the world. But first of all, Peter wants us to see that if feeling a stranger in the world is sort of lonely, we feel rejected, it's hard work, and we wonder whether it's worth it, the first thing Peter wants us to see tonight is that it's worth it and it's good. You'll see in your outline tonight, I want us to see how good it is to be a stranger in this world. I want you to see it is so good you wouldn't want to be anything else. So verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. You see there, front and centre, he calls these people strangers. Strangers in the world scattered throughout these various towns, maybe 10, 15 Christian in each of these towns, and they gather together, they feel small and maligned and rejected. But Peter wants them to know they are strangers, but not strangers to God. See that word there, verse 1? He calls them God's elect. The people that God has chosen. 
And verse 2, he expands on that. He tells us how. Who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Before you were a twinkling in your mother and father's eye, whatever the expression is, you were known by God. Not because he looked way into the future and knew you were going to exist, but he knew you. That's foreknowledge. And knew you and chose you to be part of his people. And so he took action. God the Father chose you and God the Spirit did what needed to be done to set you apart, devote you to Jesus for obedience to Jesus and sprinkling by his blood so that you would be forgiven and cleansed and part of his people. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, they did all that needed to be done for you to be God's elect. You might be a stranger in the world, but you are certainly not a stranger to God. Do you ever feel like, does anyone really know me? Does anyone understand? Does anyone care? Is anyone at work in my life? The answer is yes. God, three persons of God, are thoroughly at work in you. Strangers in the world, but not strangers to God. But it gets better. Strangers in the world, but not strangers to God, but strangers with a living hope. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The Bible says that every person is spiritually dead because of sin, without God, without hope in the world, and yet he's chosen people and given them new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. That's why it's a living hope. It's a hope of life. For he was raised and will be raised. And it's not just a a, a hopeful sort of a hope, like I hope it's not too hot tomorrow. No, it's a certain hope. Have a look at verse 4. Into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Your inheritance is a flimsy thing. The Jews knew that. The land was their inheritance and they lost it. Your inheritance from your parents is a flimsy thing. There might be a financial crisis before the time comes. They might disinherit you before the time comes. Be nice to them, won't you? They might be a baby boomer and spend it all before the time comes. Your inheritance is not guaranteed, but here it is certain, do you see? Into an inheritance that can never perish Never spoil, never fade. Why? Because it's kept in heaven for you. The hope of eternal life cannot be spoiled, cannot disappear. But will I get there, you wonder? Being a stranger in the world is hard. What's the guarantee? I'll get my inheritance. Verse 5 who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. It's not just that the inheritance is safe in heaven. We are safe 
here on earth. If God chose you, if he set you apart by his spirit and connected you to his son, do you think he's going to take his hand off the throttle or whatever you say at this point now? Of course not. If he's gone to that much trouble, he will make sure the job gets done. You are safe, shielded by his power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. So you have a living hope. Certain because it's in heaven. Certain because you are kept safe. How good is that? How good is it to be a stranger in the world when you have a living hope. A couple of weeks ago I was reading in this passage uh, for my quiet time, for my devotional reading that morning, and a couple of hours later I was talking to a friend of mine. She was telling me that one of her relatives, a young adult, 26 or 27, had just committed suicide. Life was so hopeless that he ended it. Just a week later, another relative had a sudden heart attack and dead. She was telling me about this, uh, his funeral service, a secular funeral service, where despite the fact that they had doves to release, despite the, the fact that they played the theme song for his favourite NRL team, the Panthers, it was so clear that there was no hope. It was a dead And so I've reminded her of these verses. We've been given birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Have you ever wondered whether it's worth being a stranger in the world? Whether it would be easier just to give up? Well, you'd be left with a dead hope. How good it is to be a stranger in the world with a living hope. No wonder Peter says, verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice. But that's the future, isn't it? And it seems a long way off for most of us. What about the present? Being a stranger in the world is difficult and we have all kinds of trials. Well, the Bible knows that. Peter knows that. He says it in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Do you know I have all kinds of trials? Sometimes my computer just does not work properly. Can you believe that? Sometimes I have a toothache. Sometimes I have a sore foot as I'm walking along. Sometimes I have worse trials than that. And so do you. Some of you experience uh, chronic sickness and pain. Some of you have the fear of living with cancer. There are many in our church, some in our church, who are dealing with marriage difficulties and breakdown. All of us at some time will have the grief of someone we love dying. We have all kinds of trials and some of them are really difficult. We suffer grief, it says. Literally it says, we grieve. It's not just something that happens to you. We grieve. And we rejoice. Do you see that? In the very same verse. We rejoice and we grieve in all kinds of trials. How could that be? How could you rejoice in your trials? How could you rejoice in your grieving? 
Well, verse 7 explains it. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. When we go through trials, when something bad happens to us or someone else, we want to know why, don't we? Why did my relative die? Why do I have sickness that doesn't go away? Why do my friends at school give me a hard time for being a Christian? If God loves me, if he chose me before the beginning of the world, couldn't he do a better job at making my present better? Why is he doing it? Well, sometimes when we look back, we can see a why, can't we? That that was actually good for us or good for someone else. We can understand it. And sometimes Christians say that when I get to heaven, I'll ask God and he'll explain it all to me as to why these bad things happened to me. Well, I don't think he promises to do that. And I think you'll be disappointed if you're expecting that. But he does tell you, why trials come in this verse? There's an answer here, and it's a real answer, and it's a good answer. These have come. It's clear. Why? So that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. God has given you a faith if your faith is in Jesus. He's given you new birth, and he's given this faith and he wants to prove it genuine. He will shield you by his power so that that faith keeps on going. But as you experience trials, that will prove that your faith is genuine. Is it worth having your faith proved genuine? Yes. Have a look at the second half of the verse. May be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Why might you have a chronic sickness that God doesn't take away? because he wants to prove your faith genuine. Why is it worth going through a chronic sickness to have your faith proved genuine? What could possibly make it worth it? Well, praise, glory and honour sounds worth it to me, don't you think? Praise, glory and honour to God who shields you by his power and who gave you the faith in the first place and, I think, Praise, glory and honour for you when God says, well done, good and faithful servant. That'd be worth it, wouldn't it? That's why we go through trials. Do you believe that? Can you accept that now in the trials you're experiencing? Are you ready to accept that in whatever trials God gives you? If you can, then you will rejoice whilst you grieve. You'll be filled, it says, verse 8, with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Is it worth being a stranger in the world? Yes. For you'll rejoice even in trials. In the last paragraph of our verse, it talks about another reason why it's worth being a stranger in the world. I'm not going to spend much time on it, but it talks about how we know more than the prophets. 
that even those great prophets through whom God was speaking, they couldn't work out what the Spirit was saying, yet we know and we have experienced the salvation that they were looking forward to. Being a Christian in the world means being a stranger in the world. It's meant to be like that. If you grew up feeling that it was okay to be Christian, that even everyone was Christian, or it was perfectly acceptable to be Christian, you were normal, you were in an abnormal time in history. And Australia is becoming more normal now. We are strangers. But it is so worth being a stranger. We are strangers, but not strangers to God. We are strangers, but have a living hope. We are strangers but have joy even in trials. And how did all this come about? Do you notice verse 3? In his great mercy. I didn't deserve any of this and frankly neither did you. It might be tonight that you don't need any persuading that you're a stranger in the world. You've got chronic sickness You've got relationship difficulties. You've got people at school or at work in your family who ignore you, give you a hard time, mock you for being a Christian. You constantly feel like a stranger. Well, God wants you to see that it's worth being a stranger. In fact, more than that, it is so good to be a stranger. You are known by him. You have a living hope and you can rejoice in your trials. It might be tonight that the idea of being a stranger in the world is a bit foreign to you. That life is pretty good at the moment. That your biggest trials are those to do with computers. Pretty small. If that's you tonight, and this salvation that I'm talking about doesn't sound that amazing, then let me just point out the last sentence. Even angels long to look into these things. Imagine the stuff that angels get to see. Imagine the things that they know. They know the salvation. It's not that they're longing to look to figure it out. They know, but they long, they love to look into these things because they are so wonderful. If that's true for angels who don't benefit from the salvation, then it must be true for us. So we need to ask God to make us like them, that we love to see these things, to rejoice in them, to be filled with an inexpressible joy, to greatly rejoice. Could it be that this has become ho-hum and we need to delight in how good it is to be a stranger in the world? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, for those of us tonight who really know what it means to have many trials in sickness, relationships, in persecution, Father, we pray that we might know how good it is to be chosen by you, known by you, have a living hope, and to be able to rejoice in trials. Father, please enable them to rejoice. And Father, for those of us for whom life is going well, we have our small trials, but really they're not that big a deal. Father, help us to long to look into these things like the angels, to rejoice in what you have done for us. 
and to see it more and more. We pray it in Jesus' name.